Good morning, everybody. So today we're going to continue part three in our series on the book of Jonah. Uh, So we're looking at Jonah chapter two today, which is Jonah's prayer. And uh, it's titled, In the Belly of the Fish, because I guess that's where the whole chapter takes place, (laughs) In the Belly of the Fish. And I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been in the belly of a fish? I'm talking figuratively. I assume none of you have have literally been in the belly of a fish before. If you have, you should tell us about it. Um, But uh, now I I like fishing, and I'm also an elementary school teacher. So uh, I don't like to eat fish a lot, but sometimes when I catch the fish, they swallow the hook and they die anyway. So so I cut them open and fillet them. And when when we do that, um, usually I like to show the kids, and, and we open it up, and just out of curiosity, um, cut open the stomach of the fish, because you never know, i just curious, what did that fish eat, you know, what kind of crazy thing might be in there, big old crawdad or something, um, and uh, usually we regret it, because no matter what's in there, it stinks, all right, it, it stinks inside uh, the belly of a fish, uh, so when Jonah was inside the fish's belly, I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant experience. However, neither is the experience of drowning that he'd just been rescued from. And I'm, well, we can tell from the prayer that he was grateful to be in the belly of a fish. And uh, so in this chapter, he prays a prayer of thanks and praise to God. And uh, biblical experts have some discussion about the level of sincerity of Jonah's prayer, um, kind of based on what he does later. Um, his sermon to the Ninevites wasn't, was a little bit half-hearted, it seems. Uh, but, uh, and, and his discussion, he has more discussions with God later on. Uh, but you know what I think? I think... When somebody's in that, when we're in that kind of situation, um, I don't think people generally try to be insincere or deceptive uh, when they're in a traumatic position like that. Um, So I take him at his word uh, for what he's saying. You know, as as David showed us two weeks ago, uh, Jonah's whole story is a prophetic analogy of the history of the people of Israel. And it also can typify our lives as Christians. Um, it's, it's a prophetic story. And uh, sometime or another, I think we've all found ourselves inside the stinky belly of a fish. Not a literal one, but something difficult that God has used to rescue us from a much more spiritually hazardous situation that we have brought upon ourselves, just like Jonah brought this situation upon himself. And, uh, you know, often we say, God is good all the time. Question, do we believe it? Even when we're going through difficulties, that God is being good? God wants to appreciate blessings in the trials. 
because he works to overcome every evil threat to us. He's not afraid to do surgery to remove cancers to ten- or to tenderize our stubborn, hardened hearts. But he does this only for our good and for his glory. He loves all his children and he does not relent in his steadfast love for us. Do you believe it? It's true. He is active in our lives and he is mighty to save. Amen? As Wayne said last week, uh, Tim Mackey, one of the creators of the Bible Project, um, he calls this action of God his severe mercy. Interesting contrast there, right? God's severe mercy. Uh, Dr. Dobson, I suppose, called it tough love, right? And uh, he says it's like the love of a parent chasing after their child who's going to bring their own ruin if someone doesn't intervene. And uh, those of you who are parents, we've all been there where we've had to do the thing where this this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me, right? And... uh, Jonah, God's prophet, was running away from God and his command. Uh, Jonah told the sailors that he feared the Lord, which is a kind of a joke because uh, the sailors, uh, the prayer we heard from the sailors was a much more heartfelt one. Uh, the, The sailors showed a lot more fear of God than Jonah did with his actions. Um. Jonah was not showing any obedience to God. And he was literally trying to run as far away from the Lord as he could, which is a ridiculous idea. Um, And in doing so, he was bringing ruin, not only to himself, but to those around him. Our actions do not only affect ourselves, right? When we get in a bad mood and we say, I I just want to die, kill me, um, what we're doing is affecting other people, not just ourselves. And uh, in fact, those people obviously feared the Lord more than he did because they're the ones that got him up from his sleep to come pray and help deal with the situation. Um, So this was a really spiritually hazardous situation for Jonah. And the truth is God wasn't about to let him succeed in his foolishness and in his rebellion. Um, So, he pursued Jonah with a storm. Kind of wondering how big that storm was, you know? Like, was it just around the boat? Or, uh, I don't know. But he he chased Jonah, and then after he was thrown in, he provided a fish uh, to backhandedly save his life by eating him. (laughs) Kind of an interesting way to... Um, have your life saved by getting eaten. And I wonder what he thought when he saw the jaws coming up to surround him. Evidently, though, all of this got Jonah's attention. And uh, he did recognize God's mercy in it. Uh, So let's look at that prayer that he prayed. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Just look at that 
for a second um, in my distress. Distress, unfortunately, is what it often takes to drive us to God, right? When we, we know we need him, we recognize our folly, we recognize the consequences of our actions. But he has the proper response. I called to the Lord. That's the proper response when you find yourself in the belly of the fish or whatever kind of uh, difficult situation you may find yourself in. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Again, that's, what you, that's the way to respond. And you listened to my cry. Is that surprising? No, not at all. Because God disciplines us for our good. He loves us. Um, we heard this morning about his steadfast love that will not let go of us, right? And uh, that was God's intention all along, to listen to Jonah's cry. And the same for us. Verse 3. You hurled me into the depths. Is there any question about who did it? I thought the sailors did it. Jonah recognized, yeah, this was God, God at work in this situation. Into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So it's a, it's a description of turmoil. And uh, we, we know from, like, if, if you've ever kind of been drowning or really drowning in a swimming pool or a lake or something, you, you know the panic, right? The turmoil. Um, and uh, what does this turmoil do? It wakes up the sleeping heart of Jonah, right? Jonah was asleep, um, not just physically in the boat, but spiritually he was asleep. He was being reckless. He was rebelling against his God whom he claimed to fear and believe in and serve. And uh, the turmoil wakes him up. Now, when he says, all your waves and breakers swept over me, that last phrase sounds familiar to me. Um, it has a, an unmistakable connection to Psalm 42, which you might recognize uh, from a beautiful song we sing. As the deer panteth for the water. Beautiful psalm, right? about longing for God. But, but it's, uh, if you read through the whole thing, what it really is is another prayer from someone who feels as if he's been separated from God and is under God's strong hand of discipline. And uh, just looking at Psalm 42, verses 6 and 7, uh, do these words sound familiar? Verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, Therefore, I will remember you. Again, that's the right response. Uh, when we're downcast, when we're going through trouble, whatever it be, uh, that I, we turn to God, we remember you. Then it continues. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's the same words that Jonah prayed. Kind of interesting. I don't know which one came first, to tell you the truth. Um, in fact, 
It's hard to say who wrote Psalm 42 and when it was written. Uh, the credit at the beginning is of the sons of Korah. Uh, we know the sons of Korah are a group of Levites, uh, those who were, they were associated with leading worship in the temple. And uh, we know about their ancestor Korah. He was a Levite. Uh, we know him because he led a rebellion in the wilderness against Moses and the ground, God made the ground open up and swallow him and some of his family alive. <laughs> so um, he had also experienced God's severe mercy. Uh, just looking, before we go on from that, um, this, uh, when we look at this psalm, it says, from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of, the Her- of Hermon, which is a, a big mountain. Uh, we got a little map of Israel up there on the board and uh, on the screen. And uh, from Mount Mizar. Sometimes I read through psalms and I get these words about names of places and I just think it's like fanciness added into the poem. But it means something. Places mean something, as we've been talking about. And uh, so actually some people think that whoever these sons of Korah were, uh, what they may have actually been um, exiles. Uh, they may have, you know, eventually God brought King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army to bring the most severe discipline upon his people Israel uh, from their centuries of rebellion and uh, ignoring his warnings and uh, marched them out. Daniel was one of them. Uh, and, and they were marched out uh, up through northern Israel to the north and then back down south. And so... Uh, some of the, these places, that's where these places are. The land of the Jordan, where, where the Jordan comes from is northern Israel. And it flows down from the, the melting waters from Mount Hermon. And there's a smaller hill called Mount Mizar. And uh, there are rapids and waterfalls along the jo- Jordan River there. And so uh, the psalmist may be describing uh, the imagery that he is seeing or that the people saw uh, as they were marched by the Babylonians to, into exile. Uh, I don't know, but it, it is pretty unmistakable that it's describing that part of Israel. And, uh, you know, the imagery of deep calls to deep um, is really referring to trouble coming upon top of trouble. And blow following blow. And then it's saying, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Uh, image of a sea of troubles, just like, just like Jonah was in the sea. And one wave after another swallowing him, uh, landing on top of him. Waves of sorrow rolling over his soul. So it, it, it's kind of conjecture, but we, we see that imagery in it. Um, we look back at the look at uh, slide number six. Yeah, that one. Yeah, you can you can see that that 
that red line is, is where the, the exiles would have been marched. And uh, we talked about a, it was mentioned about a remnant this morning, right? Um, Tricia said it in the word that she gave. And uh, you can't be a remnant if you haven't been in exile. Uh, the, remnants, the remnant was brought back after the discipline of God. And, uh, you know, God, why was it so serious? Because God, he created us to be his image bearers. He created us um, to rule the universe with him, really, to rule the world. And uh, we, we gave that up. You know, the ones who had, there, there were spirit, spirit beings, uh, angels, if you will, uh, that, that kind of help God. Not that he needs help, but he's just kind of designed things that way. And it, it was some of them who first rebelled against God and then caused humanity to rebel. And God's design, if you know it or not, I hope you know it today, God has designed us much more for much more than survival in this life and for much more than giving us a ticket to heaven so that we can lay back in paradise. Um, the, those are things that he will give to us, but uh, he's designed us to rule with him here on earth and afterwards. And uh, uh, and rebellion against that is what got Satan cast out of heaven and the angels that went with him. And we don't want to do that. And Jonah was doing that. And God was like, no, my purposes are going to prevail. And he's, he was going to do everything he could to stop Jonah from doing that. And when we look at Israel uh, being taken to Babylon, well, again, we see God doing everything he could um, to make sure that that's not what happened to Israel. And that he indeed brought back a, at least a remnant uh, to accomplish his purposes. And it wasn't by their greatness or what they did, but it was by God's mercy and including his severe mercy uh, to, to bring them to a place where they were on his side and not against him. You know, uh, God sent that giant fish to swallow Jonah and rescue him from the deadly results of his rebellion. And he sent the Babylonians to rescue the Israelites from the deadly results of their rebellion. I mean, what are the deadly results? It's hell. It's eternal separation from him. It's eternally cutting ourselves off from his high purposes for our lives. And... uh, in his mercy, he was not willing to just let us go. You know, if he didn't love us, he would have just say, <laughs> all right, good luck with that. Praise God he doesn't. Amen? And he wasn't willing with Jonah. Um, God is faithful. Um, you know, God's severe mercy always offers hope going forward because of his great fatherly love and faithfulness. It always offers hope going forward. 
Um, and Jonah recognized it, so let's look at the rest of his prayer. In verse 4, he says, I said, I have been banished from your sight. You know, he came to a point where he saw that he was, I think he's talking about eternally banished from God's sight. He thought this was it. He had done it. Um, Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. Now that's a word of faith from inside a fish's belly, right? I mean, what kind of assurance after you've been eaten by a fish, uh, that's usually the end, right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe a slow end, but an end. Uh, But he says... Jonah has faith. I will look again toward your holy temple, whether it would be in his in that life or the life to come. Uh, he says, "The engulfing waters threatened me; the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath beneath barred me in forever." In other words, he's saying, "I was as good as in the grave." But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. He saved his physical life, but it's more than that. This resurrection, he's talking about a resurrection of a being born again. Uh, We might not look at it, but I think the real pit here was where he was before he was thrown overboard the ship, right? That was the real pit that uh, he was rescued from. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Again, that's the proper response. <laughs> in, that, in all that trauma, turn to the Lord. Call on the Lord. Remember him. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. So yeah, those, those who cling to worthless idols, the, those are the ones who are disloyal to God. Those are the ones who are cutting themselves from God's love and his great purposes, eternal purposes for, for any of us. Um, but he's saying, I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And I don't know what he vowed exactly, but maybe it was to go preach to the Ninevites, I'm guessing. That's the one that probably would matter. And uh, he said, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, interestingly, we don't hear that in his, pra- in his uh, sermon, his, his preaching to the Ninevites. Uh, in fact, he was pretty upset after salvation did come from the Lord to the Ninevites. Uh, so uh, there's, there's more work to do in Jonah, but God's working with him. You see that? Uh, this, this may not be the last severe mercy Jonah needs. It's not, certainly not the last conversation he's had with the Lord about his direction. In the same way, if we look back at Psalm 42, the psalmist also believed in God's future goodness. Um, Even after all those roar of waterfalls, deep calling to deep waves and breakers sweeping over him, 
all those troubles, he says, verse 11, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That, that's hope, right? And this is how we should respond to troubles and hardships. You rec- do you realize, you, do you see, it's not self-pity, and it's not wallowing in condemnation, uh, but it's turning to God, repenting, putting your hope in him, believing that he's going to save you. Why wouldn't he? This, this is the way that, this is what God uses discipline for. This is how his severe mercy works. It is severe, but it is mercy. It's for our good. God is good all the time. Amen? He is, is he for us, not against us? Right, that's what the Bible says. So Jonah truly recognized and appreciated God's love and mercy for him during those days in the belly of the fish. Even if he wasn't, he still wasn't applying that same mercy toward his enemies in Nineveh. God's severe mercy was making progress in Jonah, though, I think. But there were more steps to go. God will work with us, his children, step by step until his will becomes accomplished in our lives. We do not become perfected all at once. How many of you know that? The rest of you are perfected already, I guess. Um, (laughs) We we don't. He works with us step by step. Um, But when he does work with, he wants us to patiently endure, call out to him and cooperate with him as he leads us through this life. The current lesson that he has for us is not the last one. Sorry to say that, but it's not. Uh, and it hasn't, it's not the first one or the last, right? We're a work in progress. Uh, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, in the New Testament, this is spelled out very clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. And the writer of Hebrews says, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgot, and have you completely forgotten, this word of encouragement. Notice it's a word of encouragement that addresses you as a a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Again, he's talking about how to accept correction. Uh, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent. We get our opportunities to correct uh, young people. And uh, sometimes they lose heart. Sometimes you, you speak to somebody and they go away from it thinking you're just out to get them. Uh, most of the time, hopefully that's not the case. But that's not the case with discipline. It's not because God hates us, it's because he loves us. Amen. Don't lose heart when, the, when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure. I'm just thinking of Cain. I just think back to Cain. And you know how God, you know the story how God pursued Cain before he killed his brother? I think it's like at least three times he talked to him. 
or at least once before and then a couple times after, even after, God kept pursuing Cain and then saying, turn back to me. And uh, Cain had a hard time. It looked like Cain was, uh, you know, he, in the end he was just like, what's going to happen to me? Your, your banishment for me, I can't take it. Everybody will want to kill me. You know, Cain didn't seem to get it. But we should. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, kids, raise your hand if you've been disciplined by your parents. Good. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. This is the truth, right? If, if he didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. And if he doesn't discipline us, he doesn't love us. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, right? Respect your parents when they discipline you, right? <clears throat> How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I like the word training, you know, because that's what discipline is. It's, it's not condemnation is training and you know not every hardship that we go through it goes directly back to our fault right but every hardship is used as training no pain no gain right how many of you exercise anybody lift weights uh, maybe it's just a, a different diet you know but um, training uh, is to build us up right uh, even if we're even if we're not sinful, we're still not strong enough or knowledgeable enough, right? That's what training is for. And tr uh, a good parent trains their children. So don't lose heart when you end up in the belly of the fish again. We all need God's discipline if we're God's legitimate children. Uh, think of all the characters in the Bible, all the heroes of the faith, and try to find any. I, Try to think of any who had no distinct failures before or even after their success in the Bible. Think about it. I'll bring up a few here. Okay, how about Adam and Eve? Uh, they, I mean, they were the original image bearers, right? And they immediately gave up their authority to subdue the earth and were banished from the garden after disobeying God. How about Abraham? Well, he nearly lost his wife twice because uh, he was afraid, even though God had given him better as great a promises as God's given anybody. And uh, he created that Ishmael drama out of a lack of faith in God's promise. But he's called the man of faith, right? And he's the father of all who believe. How about Jacob? Well, he tried to take God's blessing by his own deceit. And what happened to him? 
He was made to live under a deceitful father-in-law, Laban, for at least more than 20 years, I think. Right? That's the belly of a fish. How about Moses? Well, here he, he was called by God and out of fear said something that, I don't know if you and I have said it, but it's pretty bold. God, send somebody else. Just send somebody else, please. This is what Moses said, right? Uh, to face Pharaoh and deliver God's people. I don't want to do it, he said. Um, how about Samson? Uh, God called him to deliver Israel and he was driven by his fleshly desires and with, by revenge. He eventually lost his eyes, his strength, and his freedom. But eventually he turned around and God did use him uh, for his purpose at the end. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, right? Who will do all that I have commanded except, of course, to uh, take another man's wife, commit adultery, and then murder that man. Uh, from the position of king. Um, and so he went through some difficulties. He destabilized his whole family, uh, his dynasty, and um, he was temporarily unseated by his own son Ad- Absalom and had to flee temporarily. That's discipline. How about Peter in the New Testament? Well, he let the fear of man cause him to deny Jesus. And he stole away, weeping bitterly. When Jesus finally, <laughs> it says this, the angel said, uh, announcing the resurrection, go tell his disciples and Peter. Did you ever catch that? Because Peter had said three times, I'm not his disciple, right? He denied Jesus. Uh, that's, that's not loyal. Um, but, but we see that God worked it out in Peter's life. Uh, James and John, well, in their prejudice, remember they asked Jesus if they could call down fire from heaven on the Samaritan enemies uh, who wouldn't let them stay the night in their village. <laughs> and uh, uh, they received a pretty stern rebuke from Jesus for it. But yet, uh, I don't know about James, but John is, writes more about love than any other writer in the New Testament, I think. And, uh, and then finally, the Apostle Paul. Well, he persecuted God's people violently. Uh, and Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his horse and blinded him uh, for three, was it three days? I'm not sure. Like, just like Jonah, it was three days. And, uh, and then God said, sent uh, someone to... And Paul, uh, Paul suffered a lot. The word to Paul from Ananias was, uh, "God will He wants to show you how much you will suffer for His name." Uh, so uh, you know, all of these heroes of the faith faltered uh, because of their own weakness, their own foolishness, uh, but they were redeemed by God's severe mercy, and so no less, uh, we're, we're no less than them. Uh, or no greater than them, we're gonna, we should expect it too. His, his loving discipline ultimately let his purposes succeed in their lives. So as we look at Jonah, we see the mercy of God, how he's unwilling 
to completely abandon his people. How many say praise the Lord right now? And even when we fail him repeatedly, as Jonah experiences, even though he laments it later towards his enemies, God is a merciful God. Amen. Uh, Psalm 103 tells us that. Verses 8 to 12 I'm going to read. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I don't hear you, Warren, shouting hallelujah right there. There's a good place to shout hallelujah. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Now think about that. High. Contrast that to Jonah's story where Jonah keeps going deeper and deeper. He goes down to Joppa, down to the ship, down below to fall asleep. Then he gets thrown out and down, down, down to the very bottom of anywhere that can be described, the roots of the mountains. But the truth is that that was as high as the heavens are above the earth, God's great love for him. And that's the same for us. For those who fear him, interesting. Uh, and Jonah said, I fear, I, I fear the God of Israel. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Contrast that one. Where was Jonah going? He was going to Tarshish. Where is Tarshish? David explained to us. That's, uh, that's as far west. You know, that's as far west uh, in the known world at that time. He was trying to run away from God as far as he could. Well, as far as the east is from... You can't do that, by the way. But God can do this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So God intends to win the victory in our lives because he loves us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on you or his purposes for our lives. Because of that, we may well end up in the belly of a fish at times. Just going to tell you. Like Jonah does in this prayer, let us learn to appreciate the blessings in the trials. For by them, God is working to overcome every evil threat to us. Don't despise his discipline, brothers and sisters. He won't let us get away without a fight. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We bless your name. We give you glory and honor because of your great love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love toward us. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we will look to you. And Lord, I just pray for any of us who might be going through particularly difficult things right now. Uh, 
No matter what the cause of them, Lord, you are with us. You will use it for our good. Lord, we humble ourselves this morning and we just we bow before you and declare that you are Lord and you are good. Lord, open up our eyes, open up our minds to the purposes that you have for us. Forgive us for our petty selfishness. Forgive us for where we have rebelled against you. Have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us. Let us be about your purposes because you are good. Your plans for us are good. Your plans for the world are good. May the whole world see the goodness of your mercy. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we, we thank and praise you and honor you and lift up your name. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to, to do your work in us. Lord, we know that we are not finished projects yet. We pray that we give you permission, Lord, to work in us. Lord, may we come quickly to obey your word and not have to have the harsh discipline. Thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.